Well, this morning, we're going to talk about the triumphs of Holy Week, the triumphs of Holy Week. Last week, we talked about the tragedies of Holy Week. This week, the triumphs of Holy Week. And so if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me a while to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to do a bit of an overview in that chapter this morning. But um, if, when you, like, it's amazing to be able to gather together like this on Easter Sunday and just see the church full. And I know, like, for some of you, you may be a little uncomfortable because, like, every week, we keep talking about this, every week we bring the chairs in a little closer, this way, this way, you know, just so we get more chairs in. Um, but it's such a blessing to be able to gather like this, even in these tight quarters. So thank you, thankful for those of you who are willing to slide into the center and to be up front. And I would have still have a few spaces up here if anybody's looking for any in the back. But um, so triumphs of Holy Week, triumphs. Uh, a triumph is a victory. Um, a triumph is a victory. It's a decisive victory. It's a great success. And this week, uh, as we celebrate, bring Holy Week to an end, we want to remember the decisive victory that Christ had on Easter Sunday morning, on the first day of the week. And Luke 24, Luke 24, just listen to this. You don't need to turn there because this is the only time we'll be here this morning, but but on the first day of the week. I, I love that word, but, there, because they just talked about his death, his burial, and then it says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices that they had prepared, and they found the, the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and must be crucified and on the third day rise. They had totally missed everything that Jesus had been telling them all the way up through. They missed it. And the angel of the Lord is like, remember I told you? Do, do you remember? And I love how he says, like, why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's like, don't you, didn't, didn't you believe him? Like, there's incredible implications for us today as believers that Christ, his triumphs still, his decisive victory, his triumph, him rising victorious over Satan, sin, hell, and death have incredible implications for us today. Incredible uh, um, implications of how we would live our lives. First Corinthians 15, Paul then is defending the resurrection. There was those in Corinth who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe that Christ had been, had been raised from the dead. They didn't believe that people would one day rise from the dead. They didn't believe that. And so he's defending that. Now, I'm not going to use this passage this morning to defend the fact that Christ um, died from the, or rose from the dead. I'm not going to use this passage even to really um, build a case that we will one day bodily resurrect from the grave. I'm going to come up from the perspective that we already hold that position, all right? But what I want to do this morning is really talk about what do those triumphs mean for us today? And like, what do we have to look forward to as Christians and believers uh, in, in Christ? Now, if the resurrection, I, I just want us to look at verse 12 through 15 for a moment. Verse 12 through 15. 
Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Then not even, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Like, so what he's saying, like, if you don't believe in the resurrection of the believer, then how can you believe that Christ rose from the dead? He's saying like, if you believe one, you have to believe the other. Like, you have to believe them both, that both Christ raised, was risen from the grave and that we as believers will one day as well. It's one of the triumphs of Holy Week that will be for all believers, that, that we will one day be bodily resurrected from the grave. His triumphs have implications for us. Point number one, four triumphs that I want to pull from this. The triumph of prophecy fulfilled. The triumph of prophecy fulfilled. Verse one, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you will fast the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, here it is, in accordance with Scripture, prophecy fulfilled. With the Scriptures, he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures. All of these things, prophecy fulfilled, Christ, his life. Even if you look back to his incarnation, the virgin birth, all of those things prophesied him Coming into um, Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, on the colt, a fall of a donkey, prophesied in Zechariah. Like all of these things, prophecies being fulfilled. And his, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection is just prophecy fulfilled in accordance with scriptures. We see it over and over. Now remember what I just read in, in Luke 24? He said, remember how he told you. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee that he would go to the grave, that he, he, would be, he would be killed at the hands of sinful men and he would be buried and three days later he would rise from the grave. Like he, he said, remember, Jesus even prophesied himself that this is what happened to him. So it's a fulfillment of prophecy, which is a great triumph. Mark chapter 9, verse 31, Jesus was prophesying about himself, the Son of Man, who is Christ, is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. In accordance with Scripture, all of these things, there's a fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's a fulfillment of things that Jesus said in the Gospels about himself. It's certainly a fulfillment of, um, like Isaiah 53, there's all these different Scriptures that we see that Christ fulfilled in his life, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. All of these things were done in accordance with Scripture. But the problem is, like, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. But today, so many people get so caught up in what they would call prophecy. Uh, end times. There's so many portions of Scripture. The Scripture does give us some um, insight as to what will happen in the future. But there are so many people today that are so caught up in, like, certain types of prophecy that they miss the main things. Does that make sense? 
Like, they miss the main things. Like, keep the main things the main things. What did he just say? I delivered to you of matters of first importance. Verse 3. What? Then he goes into the life, death, and burial of Jesus Christ. The gospel. The gospel is a matter of first importance. Not like pre-trib, post-trib, all these things that don't really matter. And there are, I mean, does it, what, what we do know is that Christ will return, right? That's what we know. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, for the secret things belong to God. There are some things that God gives us a little bit of insight into, but we don't know fully how it's going to happen. And he's like, the secret things belong to God. Leave it alone at that. But prophecy fulfilled. It's the triumph of prophecy fulfilled. The second thing we see is the triumph of death's destruction. The triumph of death's destruction. Picking it up in verse 20, jumping all the way ahead to verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has been. Okay. So his triumph over death, but in Christ, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, that was Adam, his sin brought death to mankind because before sin, man was not supposed to die. Uh, death was not part of God's original intent. Death is a result of sin. So by one man, death has come. And by man, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That would be Christ. For as in Adam, that's the first man, all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. First Christ, the first fruits. Then at his coming, what's, what's coming, what's coming is he talking about now? A second coming. At his second coming. Now it is coming, the second coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. For he must reign until he's put all things under and all of his enemies under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So on the cross, when Christ died, and three days later when he rose from the grave, he triumphed over death for himself. He triumphed over death. But his triumph over death, we will see in a few minutes, has great implications for us because we all know that we, in this body of like this body is getting old, it is getting tired, and it will die. It is appointed for man. It is appointed for all man once to die. Okay? We will all die, but we're going to see in a moment that we will one day also, through Christ's triumph on Holy Week, we will be raised victorious with a resurrected and heavenly body. So he triumphed over death. Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Death through sin and death spread to all men because all sinned. If Christ doesn't come back in your lifetime, obviously you will die. <laughs> Duh. If he doesn't come back in your lifetime, like your lifetime ends and he's not back, it means you're dead, right? Why? Because we've sinned. And the results of sin is death. Do you know when you look at creation and the beauty of it and the splendor of it, do you know that it is marked by sin? It, I cannot imagine what creation and what this world will look like pre-sin and what a new heaven and a new earth will look like. But everything 
has the marks of sin upon it. And our own physical bodies, who we are as a person, has the implications of sin. But Christ came to eliminate death. One of his triumphs is he will, he has eliminated death, but it's kind of like the already, not yet. Does that make sense? Like we, we, we believe by faith that we too will one day be, have a resurrected heavenly body. We believe by faith that he has conquered death. His resurrection reveals that he was triumphant over death. It's his victory over death. Verse 27, he goes on and he says, For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected to put all things in subjection under him. Now, Paul here, it seems a little bit of a, a word twist. It's a little bit of a tongue twister to read that. But Paul is quoting other scripture. He's most likely referring to Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus triumphs over death. Death is an enemy. Death is an enemy of God. It's an enemy of his created beings. It's our enemy. And Christ was triumphant over it one day. The dead in Christ will rise victorious to everlasting life. That brings us to point number three. The triumph of our inheritance. The triumph of our inheritance. We have an inheritance that Jesus guaranteed for us on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, picking it up in verse 50. Now we're just jumping ahead, a whole bunch of verses to verse 50 now. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. But I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What does he mean? Our mortal bodies, as we are, we cannot fully inherit the kingdom of God as God intends until we plant this mortal body and that when Christ returns and gives us an immortal body, a heavenly body, that is, our, that, is, that is when we will experience the fullness of the gospel of what we're supposed to inherit. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Okay, so the perishable doesn't inherit things of eternity. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, for the perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then it shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Jesus triumphed over death so that we could have an inheritance. An inheritance, this inheritance, he's talking about, is a heavenly body. It's what he's talking about. It's a heavenly body. In verse 40, he talks about there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. So here's what he's saying. Like, like our physical body is an earthly body. We know that, right? But Jesus' triumph over death guarantees our inheritance. One of those things that we will inherit is a heavenly body. 
a heavenly body, one that is supernatural. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I get really excited about that. When I think about the fact, do you remember Christ after his resurrection? Do you remember how he was on the road to Emmaus? And he spoke to those two disciples that were walking along, and he, and he revealed himself from the books of Moses, how Christ must come, must suffer, and die from the books of Moses. And then the, the two disciples, they didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him because God had supernaturally not allowed them to see it. You can read it in, Luke, in, in Luke's gospel. But then they encouraged Jesus to go on with them and have dinner with them. And when he broke bread, it says that their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then what's it say? And he vanished from their sight. He was there and then he was gone. That's pretty cool. Do you remember that when his disciples were in the upper room and the doors were locked for fear of the Jews? Everything was locked down, and all of a sudden, there's this other guy standing in their midst. And he's like, fear not. I would have been a little bit petrified as well. Like, how did you get in here? How many of you have ever wished that you could just teleport yourself somewhere else when you have like a 12 or 15-hour drive ahead of you? You're just like, I just wish I could teleport myself there. Hey, that day's coming for the believer. It is. It is. In some way. Jesus' body, the example of his resurrected body, a heavenly body, is what we will receive. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus' body still bore the scars. Remember Philip said, unless I see and touch. And then Jesus, in his grace, revealed his scars to Philip. His body still... There was, there, there, here's the mystery... There is some continuity between what I have and what I will get. And some of you are like, well, bummer. I guess I should take better care of it. I honestly wonder if like, we shouldn't. I mean, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should take care of and it to the best of our ability, not making it some religion or some extra biblical thing. But I do believe that we should take care of what we have. That there, there will be some sense of recognition. I believe that. That when we see people, like, now I don't know how, I don't think we're going to be wearing name tags in heaven. I don't believe that. But, but I think we will be able to recognize people. We'll just be able to recognize certainly family. God is a relational God. People are like, well, I know my loved ones in heaven. Absolutely. I believe you will. Like, absolutely. Because God is a relational God. Like, well, will, will there be strangers in heaven? No. How is that going to work out? I don't know. The secret things belong to God. Remember? The secret things belong to God. But this triumphant inheritance that he has for us is a resurrected body. A person will receive it. And he says when the trumpet sounds. Now, this, he doesn't really talk about the second coming of Christ here, but the trumpet sound is implying that, right? Like when he says, and, uh, when the trumpet in the, in the twinkling of an eye. How, here's the other thing. How fast will this happen? Like that. Just like that. And you're like, well, how's that possible? The secret things belong to God. Well, God can't. God spoke the earth and everything in it into existence. He spoke it. He created everything from nothing. It will be no big deal for him to resurrect my body from ashes or dust. 
even if they're spread across five continents, which I don't plan to have that happen. I'm just saying. Like, think about it. The triumph of his resurrection and what it means for us. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He's not talking about people who are taking a nap. He's talking about people who are taking, I probably shouldn't say this, but a dirt nap. You know what that is? He's talking about people who died. That's what he's implying. But he, he's like, those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, they're, they're not going to be left behind. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. So those who are, who are alive when the Lord returns will not meet him first. That's amazing. That means that graves are going to break open, caskets and tombs are going to break open, and that people who are dead, who've been buried, who've been buried at sea, wherever, will come forth in some way. They will precede us. And then look what it says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, the command of the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The triumph of a holy week is that Christ's resurrection from the dead guarantees that will happen for the believer. That's a great and decisive victory, church. That's why we're here and celebrating. But did you ever hear, and there's truth to this. Did you ever hear a pastor say, that when someone has deceased, like we see their body, but they're not here anymore. That's true. Because we're physical and spiritual beings. We have a spirit and eternal soul. That at the moment of death for the believer, I believe is with Jesus in paradise, is in heaven, the soul. But there's a sense that there's a separation until Christ's return from our body that is not meant to be seen. Because we weren't supposed to die. It's a result of sin. And one of the triumphs of Christ's victory is that one day these bodies will feel no more pain, have no more agony, shed no more tears, be rid of all of our screws and plates that keep us together. You know, I even have to wonder about this. It's just how my mind works. Okay, I have parts from other people in my body. How's that going to work out? <laughs> Think about it. Or is it just me who thinks about stuff like that? And then I have to remind myself, the secret things belong to God. Also, my knee blows open and stuff leaves me, and I'm like, I'm sorry, it's just how I think. <laughs> See, unless a person, until a person receives their, their resurrected body, they cannot inherit yet the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of what God would have for us 
I don't know what this all means. I don't know what it all looks like. But I know that Christ's triumph over death guarantees that for us. The triumph of our inheritance. It's going to be incredible. Our bodies must be changed to be heavenly. Again, I, I don't know exactly what they're going to look like. I don't know exactly how it's all going to work. But I know also, people are like, are we going to eat in heaven? I, I think we will. I think we will. Because Jesus, in his resurrected body, he ate fish with his disciples. Proves he wasn't a vegetarian. There's that. Now, I don't think there's going to be the killing of animals in heaven. Some of you are like, no meat? If God ordains, he can create trees that grow T-bones. <laughs> he totally can. He totally can. I'll let him worry about that. The secret things belong to God. The triumph of our inheritance. Number four, the triumph of Christ's victory. The triumph of his victory. Back to 1 Corinthians. The triumph of his victory. There it is, verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. His victory is our victory. The triumph of Christ's victory then means that it's our victory. It's ours. Like the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit of God, resides within us. His victory is my victory. The triumph of Christ's victory. Uh, it's in verse uh, 56, he says, the sting of death, I'm sorry, in verse, in verse 54 and 55, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of, of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're certainly quoting Isaiah. Isaiah 25, verse 8 says, I will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. Hosea 13, 14, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Paul is quoting right from the Old Testament. And he's revealing to us the triumph of Christ's victory. He declares Christ is going to, has been victorious over death. Now, even though the general, the general resurrection has not happened yet. Christ's victory, his triumph guarantees that it will. Because we are reading prophecy. Paul is prophesying. He is telling us that it will happen. Do you remember the triumph of prophecy fulfilled in the beginning? Because some of you are like, well, how do we know this is going to happen? By faith. You believe by faith. By faith. We believe that Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection is enough for our salvation. By faith. We see that Christ fulfilled prophecy in his incarnation, in his virgin birth, and is riding a colt, the foal of a donkey, to Jerusalem, his prophesying that he would die, and three days later he would rise from the dead. All of those things fulfilled, the triumph of prophecy fulfills, can give us this sure assurance that this prophecy for us as believers will come true. And we can live and hope and have faith Yet this triumph is only for those who believe the gospel. It's only for those who believe the gospel. There are those who reject the gospel. There are those who don't believe. 
There are those who believe in a historical Jesus, but they don't know him. I think there's this false perception and idea. People say, well, I believe in God. I believe that Jesus, but do you know him in a personal, in an intimate way? Because James said, even the demons believe and tremble. It's not enough to just know about him, to know the historical facts about Jesus. Do you know him? Because for those who reject the gospel, those who don't surrender to his lordship, for those who don't receive the gift of grace by faith, they will also receive new bodies, but not one prepared for heaven. In 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, verse 7, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who had believed, because of our testimony to you, was believed. What Paul is writing here to the church in Thessalonica is that when Christ comes back, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, those who have surrendered their lives to him, those who've trusted in the gospel, those who know Christ in a personal way, will be resurrected with a heavenly body to go and be with Christ forever on a new, in a new heaven and a new earth witnessing his glory and his majesty never feeling a pain or an anxiety or a fear or sadness again but for those who reject the gospel, who don't know God, it says he's coming back to inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, and they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. See, those who reject the gospel will also receive a new body but their body will be fit for hell. It says where there's constant burning, but we never burn up. It's, it's an awful place. And those bodies still feel and have senses. You can read it in Luke's gospel where he talks about the rich ruler and Lazarus. And the rich guy who was in hell, he wasn't in hell because he was rich, he was in hell because he didn't trust the Lord. He said, I just want a drop of water for my tongue. All people, my point is, all people will get a resurrected body. Some for heaven, some for hell. And that triumph that Christ has purchased for us as believers, and as Christians should then give us an incredible sense of urgency for the mission. What is the mission? 
to make disciples, to teach them, to baptize them. The lost saved, the saved matured, the matured multiplied. Why? Because every person that you come in contact with will spend a literal eternity somewhere. And Christ's triumph over death guarantees our inheritance. Yet this is only for those who have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. But he said it right in the beginning of, of chapter 15. He said, now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, but which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. The gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is good news. Good news. The good news is, if you have good news, there's, usually it's all set with bad news, right? The bad news is we've all sinned. We know that. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is, Christ came. He lived the life that you were intended to live without sin. Though he was tempted and tried in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. And then he went to the cross where he suffered conscience, conscience torment. The wrath of God was poured out upon him for the sins of all who put their faith, hope, and trust in him. He lived our life. He suffered our shame. He absorbed the wrath of God for us. And then he died in my place. And he died in your place. The gospel, Jesus, in my place. And then three days later, he rose victorious over Satan, sin, hell, and death. But you must respond to the gospel for yourself. This is not something where people say, well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. Well, I was raised in a Christian family. I grew up in the church. No, it doesn't make you a Christian. Romans confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Every person must respond to the gospel. Every person must say, God, forgive me. God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. God, that I have sinned against you. Every person must acknowledge that. Every person must then say, oh God, forgive Cleanse me, fill me, change me, save me. And if you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. So church, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes and just intercede. If you're here this morning and you have never responded to the gospel, you have never said, oh God, I am a sinner. I need you to save me and forgive me. If you've never done that, I just want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning, right here. I'm not going to call you forward. I just want you to acknowledge it before a holy God that you're taking that stand this morning. And I want to pray with you right where you are. So if you're here this morning, you've never done that, and you want to do that on Easter Sunday morning, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? Just slip it up high so I can see it. Leave them up. 
okay? With every head bowed and every eye closed, just please honor them and me in this. You can put your hands down. If you raise your hand, I just want you to look up at me. I just want you to look up at me, okay? I see you. I see you back here. I'm going to start down here, okay? And I'm going to ask you several questions. I just want you to acknowledge yes or no by shaking your head. Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he died for you? And do you believe that he is the only way that you can be saved from your sins? And are you saying today that you want him to forgive you and to save you and to come into your life and to change you and to redeem you? Welcome. God bless you. Back here. Are you saying this morning that you believe that you are a sinner? And that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that he came and lived perfectly and died for you. And are you saying that you believe that Jesus is the only way for you to be saved? And are you asking him today to forgive you and to save you? And to change you? And to come into your life and to fill you and empower you? Welcome, God bless you. Father, we thank you for the work of salvation. Father, thank you for these two professions of faith. God, your word says that all of heaven, heaven rejoices when one person surrenders their life to Christ. We know that the angels of heaven are rejoicing now. And we rejoice. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Christ's name, amen. Well, one of the things that Christ has given us to remember his triumph, his communion. He's given us the bread to remember his body broken. He's given us the juice to remember his blood shed. Now, communion is given to believers to remember what Christ has done for us. Communion is not for non-Christians. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, there's no judgment. We're so glad you're here. If you have the elements, we would just ask you, would just slip them back in the tray on your way out? Because Scripture is clear that if you take communion in an unworthy manner, you will eat and drink judgment upon yourself. And if you take it as a non-Christian, you would be eating and drinking judgment on yourself, and we don't want that for you. Scripture also says that as Christians, we can take it in an unworthy manner. That is by living in willful, unrepentant sin. And if you take communion, it's like trampling on the blood of Christ. And you can eat and drink judgment upon yourself, and we don't want that for you. So this morning, if you're here and you're a Christian, but you know you're living in willful, unrepentant sin, I would just ask you to just let these elements pass you by this morning. That you would repent and come back next Sunday and take communion with us. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. When he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples. He said, take this, eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he says, this is a new covenant in my blood. Drink as often as you do in remembrance of me. 
Father, we are so grateful. We praise you. Jesus, thank you for your triumphs. Thank you for prophecy fulfilled. We thank you for your victory, victory over death. We thank you for our inheritance, our eternal inheritance. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for coming back to life victorious for us. I pray now that we would live lives of worship, that we would live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, that you would be glorified in our midst. We praise you and we worship you in Christ's name. Amen.